mention, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been talking about this concept of incarnate God, the fact that God in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son, came to earth and took on flesh, became a person so that he might accomplish God's will here on earth. When I really became a Christian, I was probably about, well, I wasn't probably, I wasn't in the seventh grade. I'd been baptized at six, and I knew the stories about Jesus and had the concepts of Christianity that I'd learned from Sunday school, but it wasn't until about the seventh grade that I began to realize that I was a sinner, right? I had problems in my life. I wasn't a good person, and I began to feel guilt and shame in that. I wasn't very happy with who I was. And I remember I went away to a youth conference with our youth group here, and uh, everybody had gone down for an altar call that was down on the floor of uh, Michigan State's arena, and I didn't go because I thought I was too cool for that, and I wasn't going to be manipulated by some pastor calling people to the altar. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so I was, that wasn't going to happen. So I remember sitting up there, and uh, God was just pressing on me and just saying, Matt, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? And at that moment, I really gave my life to Christ. I said, Jesus, I, I want to serve you. What I'm doing isn't working. I realized that I'm becoming a real big jerk. I'm becoming a really mean guy. I don't like what's happening in my life. And, and if you would forgive me of all that stuff, I, I'd like to serve you. So when I got back to school after that had happened, I realized that part of my problem was the group of friends that I was hanging out with. They were mean guys. I was becoming a mean guy. We'd bully each other. We'd bully other people. Uh, it, it, was just, it was just a bad situation for me. And I recognized that, and I realized if I really wanted to make the changes that I felt like God was calling me to, I really couldn't hang out with this crowd anymore, this group of guys. They weren't evil. They weren't the bad guys. They were just middle schoolers, and middle schoolers are mean. So that's just what it was. But I realized that I couldn't do that anymore. And so I took the biggest step, one of the biggest steps of my life, and I know this is going to sound trite, but it's not. I, I, I went and sat alone in the lunchroom. I just didn't want to be around those guys anymore. I was miserable. I was tired of being bullied, being a bully, being mean, uh, being mean to others, ha having people be mean to me. And I went and I sat alone, which in middle school is like the absolute worst thing that you could ever do, right? And I went and sat alone at this table, and I don't remember how many days I was there, but finally I'm sitting there one day, and a guy named Mike came by. And he just looks at us and looked at me, and he said, Skiff, why are you sitting alone? And I said, I, 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 I'm just sitting here alone. I'm, I, I'm not sitting with them anymore. He said, well, come and sit with us. I said, oh, okay. So I grabbed my lunch bag, and I went, and I sat with Mike and all his friends. I wasn't close to any of these guys, but all of a sudden, I had friends again. And I don't remember how many days it was, but it was a miserable time. I remember sitting there at that table, and there were really nice guys there, good guys, and even a couple of them are pastors today, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it was just, a, it was neat to sit with those guys because they weren't mean and they weren't bullies, but they were just nice guys. But the thing that stuck out to me the most, and this, well, I shouldn't say the most because the most important thing was Mike calling me over to the table, but the thing that was incredible to me in the midst of all that, there was a moment a couple of days into me sitting at their table where everybody went back to the vending machines. I don't know if they still have vending machines in schools, but they did at this point. So they were, everybody at the table was having their extra 50 cents for their uh, pack of Sour Patch Kids or their Hollywood Square. And if you're from the Falls, you know what I'm talking about, right? Doop, doop, Hollywood Squares. Anyhow, they go back, and I'm left sitting there with one guy at the table. 
And he leans in, and he looks at me, and he goes, why are you sitting with us? You're not our friend. And I remember thinking, oh, oh. And I just said, well, Mike said I could, because that's all I had. And for, uh, later I'll tell you who they were, because Mark and I went to school together in the same grade. But anyhow, I'll, say who, I'll tell you who was mean to me. But anyhow, <laughs> and you'll go, yeah, he was mean. Anyhow, I, I ended up sitting there, and I was stunned, because the rest of these guys had sort of welcomed me with open arms. But for one guy, that table wasn't an open table, you know? It was an open table. And I have to tell you, all the way through high school, me and that fellow were never real friendly, you know, six, seven years later. He just didn't like the fact that I had come because his table was closed, and somebody had assumed that it was open. I want to talk to you today about two mindsets, and the two mindsets are that first guy who said, hey, why don't you come sit with us, and the mindset of that second guy who said, why are you sitting with us? Because I believe if we can... Focus in on those two ideas today. As we look at the scripture, we might have a better idea of what God is calling us to specifically as a church and as individuals. Are you in Ephesians chapter 2? Cool. We're going to look at verse 12. Paul is speaking to a church in Ephesus that is not Jewish. They are Gentile. They're not people who have grown up with uh, the law and uh, the Old Testament. They're people who grew up pagans, people who uh, believed in the pantheon of gods, as you learned about in your humanities class. Now, verse 12, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. And he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. That's a pretty long passage today, and there's a lot for us to break down, so we're going to go back in just a minute all the way to verse 12. But what Paul is describing here, I believe, is three sets of people. He has two sets of people that are explicitly described and one set of people that are implicitly described. And the first set of people that are implicitly described, I'm going to call the nots. People who have not, are not, are not yet. And here's what makes up the nots. This is what represents most people in the world, okay? And this is who the Christians in Ephesians were. They were not before they were, I'll explain in a minute, nows. Look at verse 12. Most people in the world are without Christ. They are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, which means not only do they not know Jesus, but they don't have a basis for knowing who God is 
through the Old Testament. They, they haven't read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and so on. They haven't read those books. They, they don't know what it says about God, nor do they have a spiritual heritage that says we are God's people. Most people don't have that. It also says that most people, the knots, they are strangers to the covenants of the promise. Now, covenants of the promise is an interesting way to sort of put uh, what God has done through the Israelite people, but let me sort of break that concept down for just a minute. Covenants of the promise is sort of describing God's intentions for humankind. You know, the covenants that he had with Noah and with Abraham and with Moses and the people of Israel. It sort of describes who God is and what he's about. So what that's really saying is if you don't know the covenants of the promise, you really doesn't, don't know how God operates and who he really is. You wouldn't know that he calls himself compassionate and gracious. You wouldn't know that he calls himself full of steadfast love. You wouldn't know from Genesis chapter 12 that his intent by calling out the people of Israel was to eventually bless all the nations of the world. You wouldn't know that about God. You wouldn't know that God operates that way. And that's what they mean, or Paul means by saying they're strangers to the covenants of promise. They don't know what God has promised humankind, and therefore they have no hope. There's not any reason for optimism. The only hope and optimism that folks that don't know the true God and what the true God has to say, the only hope and optimism they can have is in the next big thing. Perhaps in the next Cavaliers championship, or maybe if the Indians make a playoff run. Maybe it's in their vacation or completing their man den. And those are all male things, I apologize. But, you know, those are the type of temporal things that we put our hope in. You know, let, let's get to the next thing that I can be excited about. But in, in a true f existential fashion, we don't have any hope for the long term. No reason for optimism about where the world is going or what's happening in the future. And then finally, without hope and without God in the world. There's a great movie. It's a really great movie. I really suggest it to you to watch sometime, and it was, I think, a flop as far as Disney movies is concerned, but it was The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Did any of you ever see that one? It sort of had really dark and sort of adult themes, and I don't mean that in, like, adult, mature audience. I just mean adult themes, tough stuff to get our minds wrapped around as far as the human condition. And the movie had a really interesting moment. It had a song that became sort of famous where Esmeralda goes in and finds sanctuary in the church, and she begins to sing to the God that she does not know. And the song begins, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. I don't know if you would listen to a gypsy's prayer. And I think about the knots, folks who don't have any basis for understanding about who God is and God's intent in the world. And they pray to God. In fact, the statistics show that a vast percentage, over 90% of people, pray from time to time. But their prayers most likely start like Esmeralda's prayer. I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there. I don't know if you'd listen to my prayer. That's hopeless. Thinking that you've been put on this earth and having a, a concept or an understanding that there is a creator, there is somebody who did the Big Bang and made this universe spin out into motion, brought all the order to the universe and to this world that there is somehow had a hand in bringing your life to bear, but you don't know who that person is or what they think 
and even what they think about you. That's being a knot. And that's who Paul says you Ephesians were. Their concept of God was Zeus and Athena and, and Aphrodite and, 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 and all of these capricious, just a little bit greater than humans in power, but just as nasty in sin as humanity was. That's who they thought God is. And all of a sudden, they're introduced to this Hebrew concept of the one God and then this Christian concept of the one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this God is loving and gracious and compassionate and wants the best for humanity and wants to remake the way that the world does things and, and bring equality and justice and, and a loving spirit into the human heart. That's who God is. And, and for these Ephesians people, Ephesus, people from Ephesus, they went, yeah, we want that. Yeah, we'll, we'll accept Jesus. We'll follow Jesus. If that's what Jesus is about, that's what we're going to be about. And so these people in Ephesus have now followed Jesus, so they're the nows. They're not the nots anymore. At one time they were without Christ, aliens to the commonwealth, strangers to the promise, without God and without hope in the world. But now something different has happened. In fact, Paul says, by the blood of Christ, you have been brought near to God. In essence, your sin, your shame, your guilt, your being a mean person, your being a jerk, you being a selfish person, all of that is erased in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you, even though you don't know much about God because you're strangers to the promise and you're aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, you can be just as close to God as the Israelite people. You've been brought near. And the really neat thing is he says, you now have peace. You now have harmony in your life because of what Jesus has done. I think that concept of peace that he says a couple of times in this passage, that really is what takes place when, when we find Christ. Not that everything gets better and not that we all of a sudden become perfect, but all of a sudden the, the, the dissonant chords of our life become harmonious. All the strange things that we've been through, all of the pain and the hurt and the hurt and the pain that we've, we've, we've caused other people, all of a sudden we go, okay, God's going to make this right and God's going to bring me peace. There's harmony in my life. So you got the knots who don't have any of these things. Paul says to the Ephesian people, you are the nows. Look down at verse 19 with me and see what it means to be a now. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints. That's what you are nows, because you're nows today, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. You are, you are a citizen with God's, saints means holy ones. And that was great what Pastor CJ prayed today. I don't know if you caught it. It was very theological. Uh, it, it, was, it was good theology where he says, you know what, listen. We, we're not holy ones. We're not righteous because of anything we've done. We're righteous because of what Jesus has done. And he's taken our place on the cross. And by his blood, we've been covered. And now we stand before God as citizens, and God sees us as his holy ones. Now, I know you grow up, grew up thinking of some people who you would consider holy ones. People who, who were deep in their faith and people who, who really knew God and trusted God and knew their Bibles and, and, and worshipped God with their whole heart. And you probably looked at those people and you said, that's what a saint looks like. 
That's, that's what a holy person looks like. That's what a person who really knows God looks like. But when anyone comes to Christ, God looks at them as a citizen with the saints. Anyone. That's what it means to be a now. And even just as good, I shouldn't say even better, just as good as you're now members of the household of God. So much so that Paul tells us, don't just call God Father. You can call him Abba. He's your dad. That's how close your relationship to God can be through Jesus Christ. So you might not have grown up in church. You might not have had any kind of background to the things of God. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, you're a citizen with the saints, and you're a member of the household of God. You are, uh, verse 13, a now. You're a now. But there's a third group of people here that's important to think about because they're implied here. And the implied people are the people of Israel, and I'm going to call them the been theres. So you got the nots who don't know nothing. Double negative, sorry. Two, you've got the nows who know something. They don't have all the basis. They don't have all the background. They don't have all of the trappings of being an Israelite, but they know they have found salvation and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And then there's the been theres. Those who know all the rules. When we pass them the communion trays with bread and wine, they hold it because they know the pastor's going to pray over those things. When they walk into church, they know that the first two songs will be praiseful, followed by reflective songs that may build through a bridge that we eventually get to a fever pitch of worship. They understand the rules of being God's people. They know that when you first come to Jesus, you stand there like a stone during worship time because you don't understand what people are doing. But then after a time, you may venture to begin to sing some of your favorite worship choruses. And after years and years of being in the church, you may venture to clap. And then one day you will take a men's retreat or a women's retreat, and you will get to the pinnacle of righteous living. You will lift your hands in worship and surrender to the, to the Lord. I say all that to say this. When Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church, the Jewish people had been around for 2,000 years. Lots of rules and trappings and understandings about what it meant to serve God, right? And part of the passage here is, is, is Paul saying, God's abolished those rules and those trappings because he wants everybody to come near. Guess how long the church of Jesus Christ has been around? 2,000 years. The same amount of time. Could it be, could it, could it be that we have developed the same amount or at least so many trappings and rules and laws and understandings that to a not, they're going, what am I supposed to do? And to a now, they're going, I think I know a little bit of what I'm supposed to do. And to the been there's, we're going, yeah, that's what we do. That's just it. That's what following God is all about. How biblically literate are you? Because that's the pinnacle of being a Christian, right? You can read every book of the Bible with full understanding. You could write a commentary yourself. 
See, these are the things that we have to look at in terms of who we are as a church because we've been around as long as the Jewish people were around when this was written. We have unwritten rules and some written. We have unwritten understandings and some written. So that the nots and the nows can look at the been there's and go, boy, I don't have the background. I don't have the understanding. I wasn't raised in church. You say Jonah in the whale and I go, See, that was the state of these people in Ephesus. They didn't have any background in the Jewish scriptures. I don't know how many people we could say possibly even had read any part of the Jewish scriptures in, Hebrew, in Greek. Probably very few. But they recognized when they were uh, confronted, confronted is the wrong word, when they were exposed to the message about Jesus Christ and who he was and what he could do and what he offered humanity, they jumped at it. And Paul wants to let the nows know it doesn't matter if you're not a been there. And I want to tell you today, and this is not the message, it's not the point of the message, but I want to tell you today, you who would never consider yourself a been there, you have the same access and you have the same status to God as the been there's. Those folks who were raised in church, who seem to know all the rules, who seem to live such holy lives, everything's perfect, they always smile. You have the same access and the same status before God than those people, than the been there's. Jesus' ministry was primarily to the been there's, asking them to humbly remember who they were and who they should be, that it wasn't about the rules and the ordinances and the trappings of laws and, 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 and statutes, but it was about a heart relationship to God. In fact, the Israelite people were a nation of slaves with no land and no inheritance. And it pleased God to make a people out of slaves with no inheritance in order to show that he didn't have favoritism in the world. So for Paul, writing here in Ephesians chapter 2, he's thinking, there's, there, there, there's not favoritism with God. God is interested in breaking down the dividing wall between people. Look at the people he chose in the first place. Yes, Israel is the apple of God's eye because of the history that he has with them. But look who they were to start. They were not. It just so happens that after 2,000 years, they were been theirs. Let's talk about what God has done to separate and break down this dividing wall. And it's in verse 14. It says, for he is our peace. In his flesh, there's that word again from the last two weeks, that's Jesus. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one, and he has broken down that dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity instead of the two, thus making peace. So the equation has changed Maybe I shouldn't even say the equation has changed. Maybe I should just say Jesus was interested in bringing the true equation back to the bin theirs. And the true equation was this. Relationship to God is primary. 
Statues, rules, and ordinances are not what gets you to God. Therefore, the nows and the nots, or I should say the nows, have the same status before God as the been theres because it's personal relationship that makes the difference. Jesus came in the flesh so that he could break down the dividing wall that separates people, that separates the been theres from the nows and the nots, in order that he might take all the groups of humanity and put them together. It's interesting that Jesus had to come in the flesh. Isaiah the prophet predicted this hundreds of years earlier. Read the passages in Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 56 all the way through Isaiah chapter 66. God is proclaiming the time is coming where I am going to bring the world together. We're not going to have this Jewish and Gentile thing anymore. We're all going to be God's people. Yet, in spite of the words of Isaiah that happened to be in the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish people were looking at Gentiles at the time that Jesus came, going like this. Holding their nose, shutting their eyes, and keeping Gentiles at a distance. So if just the information about God's desire to bring people together were enough, Jesus wouldn't have come. But he did. Because even though God had given the information, he had not yet sent the person to bring that to bear. It's part of why Jesus had to come in the flesh. People believe in a message because they buy into a person. They don't believe messages just because they hear it and go, oh, that sounds really, really nice. Let's say this, for instance, that we want to tell the world that God is love. What's the best way to do that? Should we put it on the marquee right outside our church? God is love. So that everyone will know that God is love and they will buy into the concept that God is love. And they would go home at night and go, I am loved by God because the billboard told me so. <laughs> is that what you do to show people that God is love? No. No. If people are going to buy into the concept that God is love, it might be important that they buy into a person that shows them the love of God. I'm preaching now. All right. It's either silence because I've completely lost you, or it's silence because something's registering, and <laughs> chances are both are going on. Anyhow, that's the difference. Jesus had to come in the flesh and be a person and show people personally that the dividing wall between the nows and the nots and the been theres needed to be erased. It is Jesus who sits with the Pharisees, the kings of the been theres, and gives value to a woman of ill repute and allows her to be part of the conversation. It's Jesus who heals the servant of an invading, usurping Roman centurion. And it is Jesus who gave the Great Commission, saying, go into all the world, proclaiming the good news, first in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then where? To the uttermost parts of the earth. The dividing wall has been broken down in the person of Jesus Christ. 
It was Jesus who invited a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Tax collectors were the ultimate jerks to the Jewish people. Yet, he gets to be one who helps proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus has broke down the dividing walls between the nots and the nows and the been theirs. And he's done it this way, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. But how do they know it? How can they be sure that they are? Let's back up to verse 18. We'll see the answer. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. The spirit of God now directs the lives of those who have been brought near. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church and you've been, been there all your life. If the Spirit of God is not directing you, then there's still a long way to go in your relationship to God. But the neat thing is, tomorrow you can walk into the grocery store and you can see somebody that you've seen there before, and you can speak to them because you see that something's going on, and you can share with them about Jesus Christ, and they can say, I'd like to become a Christian, and you can pray over them in that moment that they were, and all of a sudden, they have access to the same spirit that you who have sat in church for 70 years have access to. God can lead and direct that person's life just as much as he can direct yours. That's what breaks down the wall. Your grace still amazes me. That song is not about the been there's going, it's been a good life, your grace amazes me. No, it's about folks going back to the moment, remembering them when they were a not, and the moment when God made them a now, and the moment that the Spirit of God began to work in their life and change things. We're not going to read it for the sake of time this morning, but if you want to see the whole background for this, you can read Acts chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. Peter talks about the fact that we, we didn't know if Jesus had really broken down this dividing wall, but then people received the Spirit of God the same way we Jewish people received the Spirit of God. Therefore, we realize God makes no distinction any longer. Why has God broke down the dividing wall? That's the last thing we want to talk about. We've talked about the three groups of people. We talked about God bringing down this dividing wall. I want to talk to you about one more concept today, and it's what God wills. Why has he brought down the dividing wall? Why is he trying to make these two groups one? It's in a verse we haven't read yet, but I want you to go down just a little bit further in your passage to verse 21. In him... The whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Paul's saying that God's intent to build his church is a really good mix of the nows and the been theres. that they could grow together into the spiritual house that God is trying to build. That if the house is just made of the been theres, we're in trouble. And if the house 
is truly just made of the nows, we're probably in trouble as well. But that two groups of people, both those who know all the rules and have been there all their life, and the people who go, I don't know anything about this, but I know what Jesus has done for me, can come together, and what does Paul say? That those two groups may be joined and what? Grow together. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, the been there's look down at the nows and say, let me water you, let me put some miracle grow on, because I am going to help you grow. Right? Isn't that the approach, the classical approach that the church takes with the nows? Oh, you don't know anything about Jesus? Don't worry, I got it. I'm going to help you grow. You know what, there is no, no problem with imparting wisdom. There is no problem with sharing the faith, and there is no problem with teaching. Don't hear me wrong. What there is is a problem with the attitude of the been there standing on the platform staring down at the nows. That's the issue that we face if we really want to build the type of dwelling place that God has for us. Can we in humility, as the song implied this morning, remember the moment when we were a not? Remember the moment when we became a now. So in humility, we don't act like a bunch of been there's. Act like a bunch of people who know everything there is to know and have all the wisdom for the world. But instead, in humility to get on the level of nows and nots and say, let's grow together. Let's grow together. God has a mutual thing. I'm going to learn from you, and you're going to learn from me. We're going to grow together into the people that God's designed us to be. You have something to impart to me. If you want a practical example of this from the scriptures, look at the book of Romans chapter 1. Paul's speaking to the Roman church who he's never met. And he says, I want to come to you that I might give you a gift and that I may pour into your lives. And then he says, oh, stop, stop. Rather that we may mutually build up one another. In essence, he stops himself in the writing and says, hold on a minute. I don't want them to think that my entire goal is to fix them. I'm coming so that together our faith may grow together. And this has been the problem for many churches when it comes to missionary and local missions and evangelistic endeavors. Is the people who are bringing the message of Jesus are coming as been theirs instead of coming as nows. Just grateful that they have a history with Jesus that has made them a saint and a member of the household of God, and having the humility to look at a not or at a not or a just now and say, let's grow together. But that's what the Spirit of God has done because we all have the same access, we all have the same Father, and we all have the same Lord Jesus Christ. 
So I ask you today just a very simple question, and I'm going to close with this. Where is the state of your heart in regards to being a now or a been there? Because it's very easy when you're a been there to have a very closed mindset and say, ah, yeah, if someone wants to listen to me teach them, I'll go do that. If someone wants to hear the wisdom that I have to impart, I'll give it to them. But I believe Christ came to Israel, and Christ is coming to us today to say, folks, in humility, will you consider yourself a now? And remember that at one time you were an alien from the commonwealth of God's people. At one time you weren't a citizen. You didn't belong. But because of Jesus, you do belong. And any wisdom and and any teaching and any good things that you have got since that time, those are a gift. And yes, you get to impart those with people, but don't think that God can't use nows to impart something to you. There's a humility that God wants to call his people to. And that humility is what allows authentic mission. Authentic mission starts when we recognize that God's grace still amazes us, that we haven't arrived. And that God has something for us to do in this world if we'll continue to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. If we're not going to remain in a place of humility where we believe that we can grow alongside the nows, we're not going to make much of an impact in this world. Not going to make much of an impact. God has more for us. He has so much more. If we'll in humility engage people how they're to be engaged. And so I encourage you today, are you willing to walk by the table and say, you want to come sit with us? Or is your mindset in a place where somebody comes and sits at the table and you sort of go, why are you sitting with us? Why are you sitting with us? Folks, I want to encourage us today that God is going to use us mightily in our neighborhoods and our communities. But at first, we have to examine what's the dividing wall between us and others. And God, is there something that I can do in humility to let that wall continue to fall? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we are a unique group today because we are filled here with been there's and now's. And sprinkled in among us, there are a few nots. My prayer today for this body of believers, assembled people, is this. Lord, may we, if we have in any way assumed that we've arrived, that we know all there is to know about Christianity, and if someone would just listen to us, we'd change their lives. 
I pray, God, that we would go back in our minds and our hearts to the moment when we were a knot. And as we go back there in our minds, I pray that we would just take one step forward into the moment that we became a now. And I pray that as we stand in that place, we would ask for the humility that we had in that moment. The openness we had in that moment, the childlike faith we had in that moment, that that would be the place from which we would minister. That would be the place from which we engage our neighbors and our friends and the people we meet at the single parent fair and the folks that we impact through after school programs and faith and finances that we are so blessed to be on a journey with God. Why don't you join the journey with me? I pray today also for folks who are in this place and they are just now beginning to understand what it means to follow Christ. I pray that you would instill in them a confidence right in this moment that God has given them, has given you his spirit. And you are not to be in the company of his saints as someone who feels like an interloper, someone who doesn't belong. I pray that you would know today that by the Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus Christ that you belong here. You have a place at this table. And you have the same rights and inheritance as someone who's been a Christian all their days. I pray finally today for those of you who sit here and you go, Pastor Matt, I'm here today because someone I know knows Jesus. Someone I know is a Christian. I'm here because I'm in a rough spot in my life. Or I'm here because I, 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 I'm just trying to make somebody happy. But I'm at a point today where I recognize that I'm ready to take that next step and give my life to Jesus. I want to admit that I have not been doing the things in life that I should be doing. I've got sin in my life. I, I, I mess up. I've hurt people. But I want a fresh start. And I believe from the things that I've heard that to believe in Jesus and to put faith in him is the beginning of that fresh start. If that's you today, I want to encourage you right in this moment to just turn your palms towards God just as an act of surrender. I'm going to pray over you first and then I'm going to pray for the rest of the congregation in a moment. Father God, we just pray for those today who realize that they have been a knot and they want to become a now. They want to know what it is to know God they want to know what it is to be right with God and they would surely like a fresh start allowing God to direct their lives. I pray, Lord, that they would know in this moment 
It's, it's as simple as recognizing that they haven't been the person that you've created them to be. Asking forgiveness for the things that they've done wrong. And asking you, Jesus, to enter their heart and direct their lives by your spirit. Just pray they do that right now. Lord Jesus, we trust that by your spirit you can draw men and women unto you. Even without some formula from a pastor, you can draw people right to Jesus. Lord, we just ask that you do that in this place. God, I pray that as a community if there is anything that we have put up that stands as a dividing wall between us and the world around us. That you would help us to recognize it. And you would allow that wall to fall. That we would operate in humility and try to reach the people that you've called us to reach. We pray these things today in Jesus' name.